Who was it, Donald? Who gave you up to the feds? Who squealed? Who told them what you kept in a safe at Mar-a-Lago? Classified documents. Fifteen boxes of top secret files. That's naughty, Donald. And illegal. You broke the law. No wonder the Department of Justice and the FBI came knocking. They're coming for you. But who leaked? Who sold you out? Was it Jared? Ungrateful. Ivanka? They're backing away from you. Don Jr.? Your own son. Eric? Do you even care? Melania? She wants to escape. Mark Meadows? Who did it? All your old Washington friends are talking to the 1-6 committee and the grand jury. They weren't your friends. Maybe it was someone closer. Who could it be? Someone you trusted. And betrayed you. Now you're the first president to have his home raided by the FBI. This is your legacy. It's bad, Donald. Your father would be ashamed. And there's no one you can trust. No one. No one at all. There never was. <laughs> oh, man. Brutal. But deserved. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, it's... Hey. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York, on WLPP. In Rochester, New York, on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans, on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets, on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Hi. Glad you could join us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. So that was at the top there. Uh, that was the Lincoln Project's new ad that uh, as they try to get back into Donald Trump's head. <laughs> following uh, reports that an insider, uh, an inside Trump tipster, I guess, tipped off the DOJ or the FBI regarding the documents that the FBI were looking for when they searched Mar-a-Lago on Monday. Don't know if that's true or not, but that's what the Lincoln Project says, and some reporting has referred to a, an inside tipster. The ad is called Who Squealed? Who Squealed? And apparently they are r- running it o- on TV. They <laughs> paid for TV ads up in Bedminster, New Jersey, where Trump spends the bulk of his summers. So maybe he'll see it. Anyway, uh, much more on all of that 
not the Lincoln's project, but the actual story uh, coming up in a bit, along with remarks offered on Thursday afternoon from Attorney General Merrick Garland at the DOJ. Finally, in response to all of this, brief remarks. We'll play them in full. And in his uh, comments in response to the heightened concerns right now about threats, threats of violence. Uh, against law enforcement officials by Trump and his supporters and also against federal judges now. We will share his uh, comments and much more on that shortly. But something I want to quickly share here, just because it may ring a bell or two for regular broadcast listeners. It comes from our friend John Nichols over at The Nation in an email uh, newsletter today pitching one of their upcoming uh, cruises, their nation cruises. Uh, John writes, the conventional wisdom has said for much of 2022 that the midterm elections were going to be good for the Republicans and bad for the Democrats. But in the last week, the conventional wisdom has been upended. Abortion rights supporters won a huge victory in Kansas. Job creation numbers surged. Gas prices fell. The inflation rate flattened. And legislative victories provided evidence that President Biden and the Democrats know how to govern. Sunday's Senate passage of the Inflation Reduction Act gave the Democrats a major win with the biggest investment in addressing the climate crisis in history and a major commitment to expanding access to affordable health care. Suddenly, he writes, the signals are good enough for the Democrats that it looks like the conventional wisdom might be wrong. Where have I heard that before? Imagine that. Uh, he says, but that's not guaranteed. What we do know is that the 2022 midterms are going to be competitive and that competition will determine this country's future. Of course, our uh, friend John Nichols there, uh, the longtime progressive reporter at The Nation and elsewhere, is uh, he's right on the money. But, yeah, it does sound uh, quite familiar. Uh, who could have predicted that uh, it might be wise to ignore so-called conventional wisdom in these decidedly unconventional times? <clears throat> and yes, none of this is guaranteed. Uh, I would argue that the fight to retain Democratic majorities in both the House and Senate and, yes, democracy along democracy itself along with it, for now, as we next then move toward the next presidential election in 2024, it remains an uphill battle between now and November for both Democrats uh, and, you know, general fans of democracy, opponents of autocracy in these United States, etc. But the tea leaves do continue to suggest, uh, at least, that things are very much moving in the right direction. For fans of democracy anyway, which happened to line up in this uh, particular election year with the fate of Democratic majorities in both the House and Senate. In other words, those who believe in democracy, I would argue, have to vote for Democrats, frankly, whether they like Democrats that much or not. But that is the place that democracy is now at, as I think. Uh, will be made clear uh, in, in the next uh, segment of this show. And anyway, to that end, uh, TPM's Josh Marshall has been closely following those tea leaves as revealed by changes in recent polling. 
Now, not necessarily the numbers themselves. You know, you can't you shouldn't look at any one poll or even any group of polls and say, aha, this tells us this or that, because often the polls are wrong. But if you look at them, if you look at a group of them and see how they are trending, well, that can tell you a lot. Uh, so a generic poll of, for example, who Americans prefer, a generic uh, d- Democrat or a generic Republican when when they go to vote in this year's congressional election or the poll, you know, who who would you rather see control Congress, Republicans or Democrats? So never mind what any one of those polls actually say, at least not for the moment, for purposes of, of this discussion, but. Look at what the polling trends tell us, you know, where Dems might have been down in that particular poll by four points, but now they're down by only two points or maybe they're up by one point. Well, that would be a trend moving in the right direction, whether that means Democrats will actually hold Congress or not. We don't know, but it means the trend is going in the right direction. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense to me. So to that end, uh, Josh notes this today in a short blog item headlined Senate map expanding. He writes, I'm not saying I expect to see a new Democratic senator from North Carolina, but the Democrats Senate map is expanding. He writes, there have been four polls of the North Carolina Senate race since mid-June where Ted Budd is uh, for the Republicans, is facing Sherry Beasley for the Democrats, both nominated by their respective parties to fill the Senate seat of the retiring North Carolina U.S. Senator Richard Burr. Four polls, notes Josh, of that Senate race since mid-June. So uh, over the past two months, Three of them, he notes, have been GOP-funded polls. So, in other words, they are not Democratic-leaning pollsters. Their margins, he writes, for Democrat Sherry Beasley have been in order. Beasley minus five, Beasley minus three, then Beasley plus two, then Beasley plus four. A pretty nice trend for Beasley. I'm no math expert, but that does (laughs) sound like it's increasing support. It does. And so that is notable. Uh, He goes on to say that North Carolina has been a heartbreaker for Democrats in recent cycles. Uh, And it's true. Democrats, for example, had hoped to remove the vulnerable Republican Senator Tom Tillis uh, just about two years ago, I think. But they failed. And I think it didn't even come close in the end. Uh, But Josh notes, I'm not predicting a Democratic pickup here, but this is clearly a competitive race. At a minimum, Republicans are going to have to fight to hold that seat. And that fight, of course, is going to cost them resources that they cannot devote elsewhere to even more vulnerable Republicans, particularly in the Senate, where Republicans Uh, hope to regain control, where Mitch McConnell, you know, until recent weeks, has already been measuring the drapes uh, in the majority leader's office in the Senate. And yet, where even 538.com is now predicting there will, it's a more likely outcome that Democrats are going to hold their current majority or even expand it. Expansion by at least two seats, then, 
would mean, at least in the Senate, a bevy of opportunities suddenly open up because we then have the possibility of reforming the undemocratic filibuster to pass all sorts of things. Right now we have 50 uh, Democratic senators, but two of them, Manchin and Sinema, have said they will not expand the fil- uh, reform the filibuster in any way, shape, or form. But if you can get two more, well then... If Democrats can muster up the courage or if we can help them to muster up the courage, they could, for example, codify privacy and reproductive rights from Roe v. Wade into federal law in all 50 states. They could vote to protect elections and voting rights and democracy in advance of 2024, among other things. Hell, they could even vote to expand the Supreme Court to unsteal and unpack what the Republicans did to it over the past uh, however many years. And among potential Democratic uh, pickup states in the Senate, there are a lot of them where they may be able to flip currently Republican seats from red to blue at this point, including in Pennsylvania, including Ohio, including Wisconsin, and now, yes, even North Carolina. Now, none of this happens on its own, and none of it is in any way guaranteed. Let me be clear about that. But it's all now completely plausible. And if you believe the folks at 538.com, and I don't blame you if you don't, (laughs) it's actually more likely than not that Democrats will hold and or expand their Senate majority particularly if you look at uh, 538's polls-only model, which removes the historical trends about midterm elections. In other words, removes the conventional wisdom. Oh, past elections. The conventional uh, wisdom uh, bias. Exactly. It just focuses on dozens and dozens of actual polls by dozens of different polling outfits using dozens of different methodologies with data from tens of thousands of voters all across the country averaged together. And it shows you that trend and that trend continues to move in the Democrats direction. The House majority, on the other hand, that's a totally different animal. It's a much tougher climb, if only due to the newly radical gerrymandering by GOP-controlled states, but there, too, the trends are moving in the right direction. You should know that. You should feel good about that, but you should not feel comfortable about that. But the collective polling shows a more likely Democratic victory uh, over the past month or two, even before the stunning surprise passage of this massive new climate and taxes and health care bill that cleared the U.S. Senate last weekend and is headed, hopefully, for House passage and the signature of President Biden very soon. Now, on a related note to that climate bill, before we get to a break here in the latest on our uh, outlaw former president, he's not on the run yet, is he, Des? Please (laughs) let me know. Keep an eye. Let me know if that happens before we're done here. Um, Anyway, a new alarming study is out today finds that the Arctic, which scientists have long known to be warming at a much faster rate than the rest of the globe, twice as fast, I guess, as the rest of the globe, well, it's not actually warming uh, twice as fast as this new study finds. It's actually warming four times faster than the rest of the globe. Yes, sadly. 
So you woke up to good news today, didn't you? <laughs> uh, in any event, uh, as the what, what's happening essentially is, and uh, correct me if I get this wrong, Des, but the as as the Arctic ice melts because of the additional warming, that ice which had previously deflected heat back into the atmosphere, instead now it's being uh, absorbed by the ocean. It right, heats because up the ocean. ocean waters are dark, and yep. so they absorb the sun's heat which then makes the waters warmer, which then melts the remaining sea ice faster, which then allows more sunlight to warm more of the dark water in a self-reinforcing feedback. Which that dark water then, uh, yes, it melts more ice and so on and so forth. So that seems to be really, really bad news, as if there wasn't uh, enough already on that front. Came in after our Green News report today, uh, but there was already plenty of bad news in yeah. that report, as you will uh, detail uh, later on in our latest GNR, <laughs> but there's as some good time news. allows. Yes? yes, there is some good news yes. in the GNR. Yes, there is. Yeah. Don't count on it. <laughs> anyway, all of that is straight ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via bradblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I have been uh, sort of reticent uh, over the past few days to, to cover much of the media speculation and or reporting since uh, Monday's FBI search at Mar-a-Lago because so much of it would seem like it was either, you know, simply speculation or it was based on dubious information coming from dubious sources like Trump or his attorneys as unnamed sources familiar with the matter, blah, blah, blah. Well, so now I, there I think we've got some reporting sort of confirmed by several different sources, several different outlets on several different points that I am feeling better about sharing with you today. I'm going to work from CNN's coverage here. They report the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago this week came months after federal investigators had already served an earlier grand jury subpoena and took away sensitive national security documents from former President Donald Trump's property during a June meeting there. People familiar with the matter tell CNN. So not just classified documents that should have been kept with presidential records that belong to the people and are held and cataloged by law by the uh, National Archives, but actual national security documents. Issues of, of concern to national security and classified as such. And some of those were retrieved via a previously unknown subpoena for those documents from a grand jury long before the search at Mar-a-Lago on Monday that Trump and his sycophantic followers have been describing as an outrage. 
with many of Trump's uh, elected Republican dupes just furious that the FBI and the DOJ didn't take other less aggressive and less invasive means to get at whatever they wanted, whatever they were looking for on Monday. There was other ways they could have gotten it other than a search warrant at a former president's house. All of it false. This reporting, uh, as confirmed, as I, as I note, by several other outlets today, would seem, in fact, to confirm that, yes, those claims were false and that there were, in fact, less aggressive and invasive efforts to try to get at this material, including documents that were actually subpoenaed by a grand jury and uh, and already retrieved some of them earlier this summer. But apparently not everything that had been sought by that grand jury subpoena regarding sensitive national security documents. As CNN reports, investigators executed Monday's search in part because they had developed evidence, including from at least one witness, that there were potentially more classified documents still remaining at Palm Beach at the Palm Beach, Florida property months after the National Archives had arranged for the retrieval of 15 boxes of documents that included classified information back in January of this year. So they got 15 boxes. They learned that there was more. The government, after a referral from the National Archives uh, to the DOJ, who found the uh, information missing in the first place, they asked for it back. The government did. The DOJ did via a grand jury subpoena, which is essentially pretty please give me those documents by such and such a date or else. And they seem to have gotten some more of the material, but they did not get the rest of it. And perhaps the most sensitive of it, uh, the most sensitive of the information that they were looking for, that they have reason to believe that they know was actually there, at least at some point at Mar-a-Lago. Authorities also believe the documents remaining at Mar-a-Lago had national security implications as well, CNN reports. The subpoena issued before the June meeting, which included a top official. Yes, there was a meeting about this in person, so they tried several different ways that were less invasive. The uh, subpoena issued before the June meeting, during which investigators were shown where documents were held in an apparently unlocked basement room <laughs> at the Trump residence and private club, shows how the investigation has escalated since then and suggests the discussions had become confrontational long before Monday's search. All of this information that Donald Trump knew about but did not include in his, uh, in his long diatribe announcing the search, uh, railing about it on Monday when he portrayed himself as the victim of this outrageous, quote, prosecutorial misconduct, part of a, quote, political witch hunt and, quote, the weaponization of the justice system and an attack by radical left Democrats, as he described it, all for nothing more than political purposes, according to a statement that day, uh, which, of course, means that this country is now, quote, a broken third world country. Well, I'm not sure if broken third world countries actually 
you know, ask, hey, pretty please, can you return this stuff? Oh, you can't? Okay, well, here's a subpoena to uh, say, pretty please, can you give it to us? Oh, you can't? Well, let me come down there and visit, and let's talk about retrieving it personally from you. Oh, you can't? Okay. Then we'll approve a search warrant, we'll take it to a judge, have the judge approve it, and then we'll show up and search your house and take it. Not sure that broken third world countries actually afford that many rights to people who have stolen national security documents from the government. Trump also didn't bother to explain in his statement what the FBI was actually looking for. He could have. He didn't mention the earlier grand jury subpoena or the polite meeting with DOJ officials who had come to Mar-a-Lago. He could have. He didn't reveal the contents of the warrant, which, as former federal prosecutor Randall Eliason detailed for us on yesterday's broadcast, he absolutely legally could have. And it would have included the front page of that warrant detailing what uh, what what laws, what crimes that the uh, that they were concerned might have have occurred, might have been broken for which they had to show probable cause to a to a federal magistrate. And Trump would have also, as Eliason uh, explained, had an inventory of the specific things that were taken from his property. He did not share any of that information when he posted his long grievance statement. He could have, but he chose not to. And of course, his dumb followers, including those who are supposed to be responsible elected officials, simply ran with that ball that Trump tossed to them, complaining that, you know, all of this could have been done through less invasive means and that it signals the U.S. is now a, a broken third world banana republic. Instead of, you know, waiting for the actual facts to come out, revealing what Donald Trump did not bother to tell them about as he played them yet again for stooges and suckers. Willing stooges and suckers. Yeah, I think so. Because even we knew, you know, not to, uh, you know, to, to of what we did cover from Trump to at least put it into context to make people to help people understand what we knew and what we didn't know. CNN puts it all together this way. Uh, the criminal investigation started with concerns about missing documents raised by the National Archives, which made a criminal referral to the Justice Department upon discovering highly sensitive documents among the materials retrieved from Mar-a-Lago back in June. Materials, in fact, that were stolen from the White House, CNN. It's OK to, to describe it that way. Uh, the 15 boxes retrieved uh, at, at the time back in January contained some materials that were part of special access programs, they report, or SAP, which is a classification that includes protocols to significantly limit who would have access to the information, according to a source familiar with what the archives discovered in those boxes, SAP material. That uh, has not been previously reported, I don't believe, until today, at least by CNN. And it led to FBI interviews with aides, to grand jury subpoenas, to this week's court-authorized search and seizure of documents. If they were SAP documents, they were not just highly classified. They were very, very highly classified 
because only a very, very small group of people would have been allowed to to see these documents that were apparently left in a basement, unlocked at a... Hotel. (laughs) What is effectively a hotel that has Mm -hmm. lots of foreign nationals walking through it. True. Trump and his lawyers have sought to present their interactions with the Justice Department prosecutors as cooperative and that the search to them came as a shock. Newsweek and Wall Street Journal reported earlier that the search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago was prompted by a tip to investigators about the possibility of additional classified documents. So, yeah, an insider? We don't know. Whether I trust that particular reporting, I'm, I'm not sure, but I wanted to lay it out for you. We also know that earlier this spring, federal investigators began interviewing members of Trump's staff at Mar-a-Lago and former White House officials who were involved in moving documents from the West Wing to his Palm Beach residence at the end of his presidency, according to three people uh, familiar with those interviews. And again, CNN should more accurately describe that not as having moved documents from the West Wing, but... Having stolen them. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I have not seen any corporate media outlet actually ask Trump or his lawyers why he stole the documents in the first place or why he continued to not uh, comply with the subpoena with the additional boxes that investigators took away. I'd like to see that. In addition, me too, in addition to uh, to the grand jury subpoena for documents, In June, CNN and several other sources today are reporting that federal investigators separately served a subpoena for surveillance video, surveillance cameras at Mar-a-Lago seeking to gather information about who exactly had access to the areas where these uh, where these documents were stored. The subpoena served to the Trump Organization, uh, which is uh, Trump's company that apparently operates the Palm Beach property. Uh, That came after the June meeting with DOJ officials who came to Mar-a-Lago quite politely. And it was reportedly complied with. So there is video of who is coming and going into these various locations where these highly classified national security documents were uh, reportedly being uh, stored. CNN previously reported that federal investigators visited Mar-a-Lago in June to discuss the White House records they believed were still being held at the Palm Beach property with the former president and his attorneys. Trump was actually present at the beginning of the meeting to greet investigators in June. Huh. He never mentioned that in his statement. No, he didn't bring that up. I don't know why. He must have just uh, skipped his mind. But he didn't stay to answer questions, apparently. So he said, hello, I must be going. Uh, During the meeting, his attorneys showed the investigators documents. Some of them had markings indicating they were classified. The agents were given custody of those of some of the documents, apparently, that were marked top secret or higher, according to a person familiar with the matter. But somehow they learned that there were more documents and and apparently that is what monday's law lawful search warrant which was today confirmed to have been approved by the attorney general of the united states himself merrick garland and of course approved by a federal judge before it could be executed 
Garland took the unusual step of confirming at least that point during a brief statement at the Justice Department on Thursday, along with the announcement that, yes, the department has now sought, given all of this misinformation that was put out there by Trump and friends, the department has now sought to have that warrant, which Donald Trump could have shown to all of us, but to have that warrant uh, unsealed so the rest of the nation can also learn what is actually in it since Donald Trump has not done so. Good afternoon. Since I became Attorney General, I have made clear that the Department of Justice will speak through its court filings and its work. Just now, the Justice Department has filed a motion in the Southern District of Florida to unseal a search warrant and property receipt relating to a court-approved search that the FBI conducted earlier this week. That search was of premises located in Florida belonging to the former president. The department did not make any public statements on the day of the search. The former president publicly confirmed the search that evening, as is his right. Copies of both the warrant and the FBI property receipt were provided on the day of the search to the former president's counsel who was on site during the search. The search warrant was authorized by a federal court upon the required finding of probable cause. The property receipt is a document that federal law requires law enforcement agents to leave with the property owner. The department filed the motion to make public the warrant and receipt in light of the former president's public confirmation of the search, the surrounding circumstances, and the substantial public interest in this matter. Faithful adherence to the rule of law is the bedrock principle of the Justice Department and of our democracy. Upholding the rule of law means applying the law evenly, without fear or favor. Under my watch, that is precisely what the Justice Department is doing. All Americans are entitled to the even-handed application of the law, to due process of the law, and to the presumption of innocence. Much of our work is by necessity conducted out of the public eye. We do that to protect the constitutional rights of all Americans and to protect the integrity of our investigations. Federal law, long-standing department rules, and our ethical obligations prevent me from providing further details as to the basis of the search at this time. There are, however, certain points I want you to know. First, I personally approve the decision to seek a search warrant in this matter. Second, the department does not take such a decision lightly. Where possible, it is standard practice to seek less intrusive means as an alternative to a search and to narrowly scope any search that is undertaken. Third, let me address recent unfounded attacks on the professionalism of the FBI and Justice Department agents and prosecutors. I will not stand by silently when their integrity is unfairly attacked. The men and women of the FBI and the Justice Department are dedicated, patriotic public servants. Every day, they protect the American people from violent crime, terrorism, and other threats to their safety while safeguarding our civil rights. 
they do so at great personal sacrifice and risk to themselves. I am honored to work alongside them. This is all I can say right now. More information will be made available in the appropriate way and at the appropriate time. Thank you. Thank you all for your questions. But as I said, this is all I can say at this time. So that was the uh, comments in their entirety of uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland on Thursday at the Department of Justice announcing that, in fact, the DOJ has asked a federal judge to unseal the warrant that Donald Trump and friends have been lying about and speaking out on behalf of the uh, men and women of law enforcement who have been attacked uh, really mercilessly, if not yet physically, by uh, by Donald Trump, by his supporters, by elected officials, uh, elected Republican officials. Now, how long it might take for a federal judge to unseal that information, that's unclear. But as of this hour, anyway, uh, the exact documents believed to be of highly sensitive national security nature, which the FBI hoped to retrieve from Mar-a-Lago, as apparently stolen by Donald Trump from the White House, well, that still remains a mystery. We don't know what those actual documents are. Uh, we know that there was a subpoena. There was many efforts to try to get to them prior to the search on Monday. So we don't know what the documents are. But as Randall Eliason, former assistant U.S. attorney, uh, U.S. attorney in the uh, District of Columbia, uh, as he noted on this show yesterday, the former president almost certainly does know exactly what those documents are, and he is not telling. He could, but he's not telling for some reason. Josh Kavinsky over at, uh, at TPM seems to confirm what Eliason told us on the show yesterday. Uh, typically, he reports, the FBI would also hand over an itemized list of all of the materials that were taken. Those on the receiving end of an FBI search frequently disclose those documents to the press. Last year, he notes, for example, TPM received and published a search warrant and a list of items that were taken from a militia-linked Georgia couple who were present at the Capitol on January 6th. So they have that information. Donald Trump has that information. Kavinsky notes it's not unusual. It wouldn't violate any laws. Trump could easily release those records in full. The Trump-friendly uh, Rupert Murdoch-owned New York Post was, in fact, among the first to publish the name of the magistrate judge who purportedly signed off on the warrant. So uh, material is being selectively leaked from that warrant. The New York Post uh, published the name of the uh, of the judge. They put a very specific spin on it, calling the judge, uh, whose name is Bruce Reinhardt, uh, describing him as both an Obama donor and that he had at one time represented employees of notorious billionaire pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. That came out right away. When the New York Post reported this, they put a, a target right on this guy that way. And of course, I should note that Epstein was uh, a very good friend of Donald Trump's, who once famously uh, called uh, Epstein a, quote, terrific guy. Politico subsequently reported the name of the judge as well, and noting that it came from a Trump lawyer, specifically Christina Bob 
who was apparently working as an attorney for Donald Trump, even as she was serving as a so-called news reporter on the far-right One America News Network following the election and covering attempts to recount the vote around the country and so forth, while not disclosing to viewers that she was actually a, a, a paid Trump attorney. Trump and his attorneys have gone so far as to suggest that the FBI planted materials during the search. And naturally, Fox News and all of the others, including elected officials who should know better, have run with that message as well, despite any evidence to support it. As Kavinsky notes, the former president and his attorneys now have an actual itemized list of everything that the government seized. If the feds really have planted evidence, well, Trump has all the proof that he needs to show what actually happened by releasing that list. But he hasn't because he's not hoping to prove his innocence because he knows he's guilty. Instead, he's hoping to cause a war at this point political violence and on that you should know he is likely to get his way at least in some respect david gilbert of vice news reported yesterday far-right extremists on pro donald trump message boards and social media networks are making violent anti-semitic threats against the judge who reportedly signed the warrant that allowed the FBI to search uh, the property in Florida. Multiple members of these toxic online communities, Gilbert writes, are even posting what appears to be Judge Bruce Reinhardt's home address, his phone numbers, the names of his family members, alongside threats of extreme violence. Quote, this is the piece of blank judge who approved FBI's raid on Mar-a-Lago, a user wrote on the pro-Trump message board formerly known as The Donald. Quote, I hope to see a rope around his neck. In response, another user wrote, uh, IDGAF, which stands for I don't give a blank anymore. Name, address, put that blank all up on here. The user wrote moments later, a different member replied with what appears to be Reinhardt's current address, phone numbers, previous addresses and names of possible possible relatives. A user on another pro Trump message board wrote about the judge, quote, that is a and he used a slur for a Jewish person and a pedophile. He should be tried for re treason and executed. In another post, one user commented, quote, let's find out if he has children, where they go to school, where they live, everything. According to Gilbert, these threats of violence and anti-Semitic slurs on a range of platforms include 4chan, Telegram, Getter, Gab, and yes, Trump's own social media platform called Truth Social. They were uh, first uncovered by a group named Advanced Democracy, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit group uh, that uh, does public interest investigations. Its founder, Daniel Jones, told Vice News, quote, the threats against Judge Reinhardt in the wake of the Mar-a-Lago raid are significant. In addition to the anti-Semitic and violent slurs, we're seeing his address and other personal information being shared online with the implied or explicit purpose of real life action. 
A message board where a number of these threats were posted also happens to be the same one where many of those involved in the January 6th riot posted threats of violence in the lead up to that insurrection. A spokesperson for the U.S. Marshals told Vice News when asked for comment uh, about the threat, uh, said uh, the U.S. Marshals are responsible for the protection of the federal judicial process, and we take that responsibility very seriously. While we do not discuss our specific security measures, we continuously review the measures in place and take appropriate steps to ensure the integrity of the federal judicial process. So hopefully... Hopefully, that means that they are monitoring these threats and those who have made them uh, may soon be getting a knock on their door. I hope so. But yes, I think we should expect that there will be some political violence uh, as this process moves forward. It is uh, clearly what Trump and his attorneys seem to be hoping for and what some of his supporters, I suspect, will be all too happy to try and deliver. So um, this is where we are. This is what, uh, you know, frankly, we should expect at this point when much of the country is fighting to protect democracy. We have a huge portion of the nation that is hoping to take democracy down. And they are being led by a disgraced criminal, former outlaw, scofflaw of a president who actually wants them to do so. As we go to air, it is unclear whether or not this story is related to all of this, but frankly, I'll be more surprised if it isn't. An armed man decked out in body armor tried to breach a security screening area at an FBI field office in Ohio on Thursday. He was reportedly armed with a nail gun and an AR-15. He, uh, he was stopped at the uh, screening area and then he fled before being injured in an exchange of gunfire and a standoff with law enforcement, according to authorities. It, uh, the confrontation that began at the FBI's Cincinnati field office came as officials warned of an increase in threats against federal agents in the days following the search of uh, Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida. Federal officials said the man attempted to breach the visitor's screening area at the FBI office and then fled when he was confronted. He was chased onto the interstate. A shot was fired from his car. According to the uh, Ohio State Highway Patrol, the suspect left his car on nearby rural roads where he exchanged gunfire with police. The man has unknown injuries, but no one else was hurt. The patrol said the standoff remained in progress as of mid-afternoon Thursday. Donald Trump's own appointed FBI director, Christopher Wray, denounced these uh, growing threats by Republicans against law enforcement officials and judges alike. As he visited another FBI office in Nebraska on Wednesday, uh, he said, quote, violence against law enforcement is not the answer, no matter who you're upset with. On Wednesday, the FBI also warned its agents to avoid protesters and ensure their security cards are not visible outside FBI space citing an increase in social media threats to bureau personnel and facilities. It also warned agents to be aware of their surroundings and potential protesters. <clears throat> the warning did not specifically mention this week's search of Mar-a-Lago, but attributed the online threats to, quote, recent media reporting on FBI investigative activity. So, yes, be prepared. That's where this is going. And um, 
I, you know, I'm not telling you you need to you know hide out in a bunker that you <laughs> need to go out and buy an AR-15, but you should understand that when uh, democracy is being directly attacked more and more each and every day by a former president of the United States with some devoted followers, um, you know, we may have to get through some very difficult times in the days ahead. Just wanted you to know that, just to make your day. Good advice. And if that doesn't make your day enough, well, Desi Doyen will be here <laughs> after a quick break with our latest Green News report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is The Bradcast. The Bradcast and The Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. So we take the good with the bad. Yes. We, uh, you don't really yeah, have much choice. It's, it's good news that uh, Donald Trump is finally being held accountable. But what comes with that? Potentially political violence because he's a crazy man. He's a sociopath and he's essentially issuing orders to his followers to bring uh, political violence by lying to them. And, and that's you know exactly what he's hoping for. At the same time, we've had some good news uh, concerning climate and uh, legislation, major yes. legislation in this country. It's the push me, pull you. It never ends. But that comes along with some terrible news all over not just this country, but all over the world. As you covered Desi Doyen <laughs> in our latest Green News Report. In South Korea's capital region, a deluge, turning Seoul's busy streets into rivers. South Korea, the latest victim of climate-intensified, deadly flash floods. Last month, one of the hottest Julys ever recorded. Tell me about it. Plus, protesters gathering outside factories like Heineken and Coca-Cola, demanding they reduce water use and redirect it to citizens. Mexico declares state of emergency over intensifying persistent drought. All of that intensification... And more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Among other things, the bill provides tax credits to boost solar panels, batteries, and other technologies, and also makes it costly to emit methane. Slight hitch on that last one. From now on, you have to pay a $10 toll every time you fart. Damn it. This is your... Green News Report. Don't worry, there's going to be an easy pass. You're not going to like where it goes. Okay, Desi Doyen, I thought we passed the climate bill. I thought this was all supposed to be solved by now. <laughs> we haven't passed it yet, and oh. no, it is not solved by now. Damn it. South Korea this week is the latest country to be hit with record rainfall and deadly flash floods. The capital city of Seoul was deluged with as much as 18 inches of rain in a single day, wow. triggering catastrophic flash floods that killed at least 10 people. Another thousand-year flood. They keep coming. 
day after day after day. The flooding inundated homes, roads, and subways and cut power, forcing hundreds to evacuate. South Korea's president cited climate change in calling for improvements to the country's flood management system. Good. But rain is a precious commodity in Europe, now in the grip of one of its worst droughts ever recorded. Barge traffic on waterways is effectively halted in some regions as rivers run dry due to weeks of baking temperatures and scant rainfall, disrupting transport of goods worth $80 billion a year to regional economies. Officials in Britain warn that the country is on the brink of a vegetable shortage because crops have been ravaged by the summer heat wave. In Mexico, much of the northern part of the country is under extreme drought, forcing officials to implement water rationing in major cities and water deliveries by truck. Just a little preview of what may be coming your way soon. NBC reports that anger is growing in the region over multinational beverage companies with bottling plants like Coca-Cola and Heineken that are extracting billions of liters of water from public reservoirs. NASA scientist Benjamin Cook confirms that, yes, this is climate change. Droughts and intense droughts and, and drying trends are all very consistent with what we expect with, with climate change. So these big beverage companies are just taking the public's water, selling it off. And meanwhile, the public doesn't have enough actual water to drink? Exactly. Brilliant. Meanwhile, Europe's climate monitor, Copernicus, announced that July 2022 was the third hottest July globally since record-keeping began in the 1880s. Only the third? Only the third. Summer 2022 is likely to rank as one of the three hottest years on record globally and has unleashed deadly extreme weather disasters across the globe. A new study warns global warming is also facilitating the spread of tropical diseases. Oh, great. A new study published this week finds that man-made climate change is already worsening the impact of diseases like Zika, malaria, and COVID-19 on human health. You are nothing but good news today. In other news, while we await passage in the U.S. House of the Democrats' landmark Inflation Reduction Act, the biggest climate legislation in U.S. history, the New York Times reports on a massive trove of internal documents that have revealed a well-funded, coordinated campaign among Republican state treasurers across the country to use government authority and taxpayer dollars to protect the fossil fuel industry. Of course. The state treasurers are coordinating efforts to punish companies seeking to reduce their carbon emissions by shifting away from fossil fuel investments. One example, the Republican treasurer of West Virginia announced that he will retaliate against banks that refuse to finance coal projects by barring them from state government contracts. Elected officials using the government to go after private companies if they dare take action on climate change. That's exactly what they're doing. Wow. Finally, some good news. A sunken oil rig owned by Taylor Energy off the coast of Louisiana has been spewing oil into the Gulf of Mexico since 2004. Taylor Energy is now liquidating to pay over $400 million in cleanup costs. And in Australia, newly elected Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has set a new legally binding national target to cut greenhouse gas emissions 43 percent by 2030. It's Australia's most meaningful climate legislation in decades. Elections have consequences. Indeed, they do. 
For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. All around the world. Indeed. Uh, But can I note, Desi, so the U.S. looks like we're almost about to pass a uh, a climate bill that will cut emissions by 40% by 2030. Yeah. So Australia comes along and says, oh, yeah, we're going to do one by 43%. (laughs) Really? They're just trying to outdo us there. Is that what that's about? 43%. You know, they are a bit further along on deployment of rooftop solar. Actually, I should say quite a bit further along. Plus, Australia's population is only around 38, 39 million, which is equivalent or actually less than the population of California. So you're saying it's easier for them to cut more by three lousy percent. That's it. (laughs) Well, yes, I am saying that. And and I think that they'll be able to do it if they can stick with this new uh, center left regime that just got elected with uh, uh, the prime minister Albanese. And one good thing that shows that they are they are definitely moving in that direction is that Australia, uh, the government has announced that it plans to reject a proposed coal mine that would have been uh, the tailings would have been dumped in the Great Barrier Reef area, oh, and they said that they're going to reject that coal mine because it would cause unacceptable impacts to the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park. So they are working for it. Good, and as you note, uh, elections have consequences, and uh, Australia is sort of has been going back and forth for yes. the past I don't know how many years between the right wingers more because, than a decade because they got Rupert Murdoch down there uh, g- giving the same lies about climate that he's telling up here. Yes, and in order to, and to give you a sense of how important this is, this is the first time in Australian history that a federal environment minister has rejected any coal mine. Really? Yes. Nice. Kind of a big deal. And with that big good news, we'll end today's broadcast. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, it's always available for free to download at bradblog.com. No paywall. That's made possible by uh, kind listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves without any support and no corporate support or anything else. Just you. Bradblog.com slash donate. Thanks in advance. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Brad Blog, where I hope to find you. Until we meet again, we'll see you there. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. La, 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 la.